Hello there. This is Jolie Bindo from the Hollow Chronicles of a Jedi podcast. You're listening to the Old Republic podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating review, and Brian and Cassia will feature it on the pod. Now, enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you, always. This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. And hello, everyone. Today we are going to be talking about something that uh, Cassie and I have wanted to talk about for quite a while, really probably since the Knights of the Old Republic remake have been announced. Um, And we, I guess we were just kind of waiting to kind of collect our thoughts and to think about it a little bit. Um, But we wanted to really dig into, you know, some of the things that are going on around the Knights of the Old Republic remake. And if you Go to Google and you type in Knights of the Old Republic and politics or Knights of the Old Republic remake. Uh, You're going to get some results and a lot of them are going to be complaints and people very concerned that this Knights of the Old Republic remake is going to be uh, very political um, and people don't want that. Uh, But we have a spoiler for everyone and that Star Wars and Knights of the Old Republic, they've always been political all the way back since 1977 slash 2003. Yeah. And I don't know, Star Wars, you know, wars, Mm -hmm. you know, are kind of inherently political, even if it's kind of like a war told in the conceit of like a space opera fantasy fairy tale, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still political. And then I don't know if you grew up with the prequel trilogy or or watch the prequel trilogy. Those are pretty political, you know? And Star Wars in every trilogy, in every facet of the EU, it's always been political. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. And it, really all media, I mean, it's not you know exclusive to Star Wars, but really all media kind of draws on you know, the politics and the goings-on of the time. So if you look at, like, the original trilogy, um, you know, into the late 70s, George Lucas took a lot of, um, he took Star Wars kind of in stride with what, you know, was going on um, with, like, the Vietnam War um, and, you know, kind of some of the aftermath of, you know, World War II um, and his world building there. And then, yeah, obviously into the prequels when, um, you know, that stuff's going on and you're getting a lot of stuff into, like, you know, Desert Storm, uh, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's always just drawn from, you know, real-world politics, and that definitely carried over into Knights of the Old Republic. Um, you know, and a lot of the themes that you see in KOTOR are, you know, based off of those, right, early 2000s. So, you know, yeah, it was in the aftermath of, like, the September 11th attacks and the War on Terror, uh, Saddam Hussein, all of that stuff was going on. So that was kind of the real-world uh, political spectrum that the creators of this game in the Star Wars universe were drawing on. Yeah. And I, I kind of have to mention that a lot of the outrage I think I've seen like in conjunction with the remake news, like I, I don't think it was really produced in good faith. And it kind of seemed like it was kind of algorithm driven slash manufactured outrage, you know, like sure. kind of more for clicks and, that's not like 
just particular to like Star Wars, I think it definitely is a problem. Like in our society, it's hard because you want to engage people and have them click on things. And like, uh, it's kind of designed to be like driven by outrage. And that's kind of a larger question, but I, I think like for our podcast, what we can do, like talking about the KOTOR remake is like reminding people like the creators behind uh, the remake aren't gonna just put things in arbitrarily. It's to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. And uh, KOTOR and Star Wars have always been political. So we're just going to kind of remind you of uh, a few things. Like, I'm not going to say, like, this episode is going to be all, like, all, is it inclusive or exclusive? Like, (laughs) all of the... It's uh, not going to cover everything in the KOTOR game. That's yeah, it's, cool. it's it's definitely not going to be yeah all-encompassing, I guess I'll, I'll say it like that, that. That's what I meant to say. I swear I'm smart sometimes, but... But yeah, yeah we thought we thought what we would do, you know, to just, just kind of go through this, we thought it would be, um, you know, kind of interesting, um, educational for us, maybe for everyone, you know, listening, and just kind of touch on some of the politics that were going on um, within Knights of the Old Republic. So when you see... Um, articles, you know, that are questioning, you know, how how political and, uh, you know, all the stuff is the remake going to be, you know, ju- just remember that, you know, KOTOR has always been this way. Star Wars has always been this way. So, uh, yeah, let's just kind of, we'll kind of go like planet by planet a little bit and, you know, just kind of hit on some things. So, you know, we start off in Terrace and Terrace, uh, you know, obviously is is very political. It's the city that's built on three tiers, and basically your lot in life is going to get you onto those those tiers. It's literally a, a planet of, uh, you know, class separation. Yeah, and I kind of think, like, Terrace is the most political planet that we see in KOTOR, and mm-hmm. we spend the most time there, and I, I think that's intentional because uh, you kind of get to see what, like, the war is kind of doing for the galaxy, what this one particular world is like, what the time period is like. And yeah, I mean, I played this game like since it came out like in 2003 through middle, middle school and everything. And it's always mm-hmm. been kind of on the back burner and kind of replaying it as an adult. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I think like some stuff just went over my head, like, this is so political. And then I was kind of like, man, if yeah. this is remade, and then when the remake was announced, I'm like, there are going to be a lot of angry people who don't realize like this was, you know, kind of how the original was written. You know, they're, they're going to think it was added in, but I'm like, this is the original recipe of Code mm-hmm. 4. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a lot of just interacting uh, with people on Terrace, um, you know, through the three different levels. And, uh, you know, kind of learning about the the different class systems. Um, you had the Sith, the, I don't know, office building or whatever uh, there. So they were in, taking over, uh, you know, not letting anyone, uh, you know, leave their their stations on Terrace. Uh, there's literally a character, his name is uh, Gorton Kolu, you can go talk to, and he's running like the, the anti-alien league, and he's trying to get all of the alien species like rounded up and shipped off of uh, Terrace. Uh, yeah, just a a bunch of crazy stuff going on there. And like Cassia said, you spend kind of the most time there. And if you really go around and, and talk to people, it's all of these different, 
ideals and ideologies uh, that you have going on. Um, it's it's really very interesting. Yeah, I would say terrorists really kind of hammers uh, home the uh, kind of like classism and racism through the lens of like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you agree with Gorton Kolu, his anti-alien ideology, you're going to get dark side points. And like, it's kind of saying like, this isn't good, you know? Uh, right. So I yeah. think like they're uh, trying to teach you lessons and um, I don't know, like each of the levels you, you kind of like upper terrace, it's like, it looks nice, but uh, it's kind of gilded. And then you kind of go down low, you know, to the lower city and under city. And it's kind of like, wow, like, uh, this, this planet like has some serious problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you get down into the, into the lower city and that's where all of the, the poor people, the poor population are, they don't have access to the same, you know, medicine, um, as they do up on the, on the top level, uh, like they can't yeah. even see the sun, uh, you know, uh, you know, very reminiscent of, you know, what we saw in, in Coruscant. And, um, that really, as far as like the, the racism and like that that anti-alien agenda, that's really something that Bioware did a a really good job of kind of exploring throughout this game, and then you know carrying over into the Mass Effect trilogy uh, too. So yeah, Terrace definitely definitely like the political epicenter, uh, getting you started like very first thing in the game. That's the stuff that you're coming up against. Yeah, and something you hear about in the upper city and lower city, but you kind of see firsthand uh, in the undercity is like the rat ghoul plague. And I just want to say mm-hmm. and congratulate myself. Like this is a self-congratulatory kind of thing <laughs> I'm doing, but um, okay, I never did a COVID rat ghoul plague crossover meme. I never like on the stories or posts, mm. like, to my knowledge, I never did that. So, and it, it was like kind of like everyone was posting it, and I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and that was that was the thing with the Rackle Serum, right? Is that the Sith? Uh, you know, they had like the Sith troopers. They all had access to the serum for this Rackle disease, um, and you know, all of all the the guy at the clinic up on the upper level, he just wanted to get it so he could make it and make it available uh, for everyone. So. So they put privatization and like making money before the health of the general population. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I hope that's not what happens in real life, but that's you right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, anything else on on terrorists? Yeah, I think that that kind of sums up uh, uh, terrorists pretty good. Like I said, it's a it's a really good introduction into this political world of. Uh, Kotor. So uh, yeah, we're off. We're off from Terrace. <laughs> Terrace meets its untimely end. But but we get to we get to Dantooine uh, next um, in our story here. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's still more politics going on. So this is where the Jedi Enclave. The Jedi are the uh, police slash peacekeepers slash judge and juries of Dantooine. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's very much like a a centralized government uh, here that we have going on. Yeah. And what I kind of noticed is like, this is kind of the Jedi council at their, their worst kind of like most culty, 
maybe that's mm-hmm. strong, but the vibe I get is like the Jedi Council is the end all be all. There's kind of no room for like dialogue or or debate and mm-hmm. like, kind of like different perspectives. And it's kind of just like, oh, you're not a master. We don't really care what you say, Padawan Shan. You know, uh, right? We know what we're doing. You don't need the whole like you don't need all of the information, Revan. Well, they don't call him Revan, but, you know. Uh, right, sure. Like, Yeah, so it kind of just seemed like the Jedi Council is, like, not sharing all the information and kind of just says, uh, you're going to do what we said because we said to, and if you don't, we could just expel you from the Jedi Order. But mm-hmm. if you leave, you're just going to fall to the dark side. We're the only way forward. Like, we're the only uh, right. interpretation yeah, yeah. of the Force, you know? So. Yeah. yeah, it's very... It's very dogmatic and uh, religion-like, right, the way that they operate. And we see that with the Jedi Council, you know, all the way back here in Knights of the Old Republic and up through and into the into the High Republic, if you're uh, reading any of that, you should be, um, you know, and even up into, like, the the prequels when we ultimately see, like, the the fall of the Jedi. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's this dogmatic approach to... Uh, these are our rules and we're not going to change them and we're not going to take any advice or, you know, outside influence and we don't want to hear new ideas and, you know, this is, this is what it is. And yeah, yeah, and and that ultimately, you know, leads to the, uh, the undoing of the Jedi. But yeah, we definitely see it on full display here, um, you know, in the start of our uh, KOTOR story. Yeah. Um, and in episode 45, Ironic Designs and I were discussing Juhani, and mm-hmm. uh, I, Ironic uh, Nick, he was kind of talking about uh, how Juhani, he saw her as like, um, kind of like an allegory for uh, a gay person who is kind of struggling with who they, who they are, you know, like kind of raised mm-hmm. in a religious, like a strict, like, kind of demanding religion and like kind of like being like oh no like i'm i'm gay you know what what am i gonna do you know Mm -hmm. and kind of just like trying to come out and then it like doesn't work out and then like they kind of act out um juhani was the first uh lgbt uh character in star wars actually and uh Mm -hmm. the writer like it was intentional, you know, like the only, she was like, Oh, I have to work on this. It's like, okay, I'm only going to do this if I can write something progressive, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Not only was, uh, Juhani, you know, the first, uh, LGBTQ, um, character in star Wars, she was one of the very first in all of video games. Um, so, so yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, you know, definitely taking, yeah, that, that real world influence and, you know, giving, voices and characterizations to uh, people in the story. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that really draws, uh, I think, I think both you and I to it, as well as a lot of other people that grew up with these games is that you hadn't had the opportunity to see yourself necessarily in a lot of these stories before, but, you know, with the ability to create your own character and make your own decision and have your own uh, sort of love interests and things and, you know, have uh, characters from different backgrounds, all of that stuff, uh, you know, you you really got to feel like you were a part of this world, no matter who you were. Um, so I think that you know the inclusion of Juhani in the story was really important. Yeah, I mean, 
it's hard because when it came out in like 2003, um, I think like more people behind the scenes like kind of had to hedge their bets or like weren't like on board with it. Like, so there kind of mm-hmm. was a glitch when it came out. Like, it was kind the the Juhani relationship was just meant to be for females, but like when it first came out, like it could work for females or males, but then it was kind of fixed. Like they mm-hmm. said, it was a glitch, but I'm like. Mm. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and then, like, they kind of had to make some of the relationship a bit vague. And some of Juhani's dialogue was cut out. But I hope, like, in a remake, like, Juhani's role would be fleshed out and mm-hmm. expanded upon. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so after after Dan Tween, we're going to make a, a couple of stops here. Uh, we're going to go to Kashyyyk and Tatooine. Um, and, you know, we've had episodes just specifically about these, uh, you know, with our good friend, uh, Huni D, uh, is episode 59 for Kashik and episode 76 and 77 for Tatooine. Uh, but on, you know, both of these locations that really, uh, kind of leans into and tells the story about what the indigenous experience is for these native peoples of these planets, um, and uh, those episodes are very excellent, so please go and listen to those, uh, check them out, um, and uh, follow uh, Huni on uh, Instagram for his artwork and stuff. But but yeah, the indigenous experience, really important to the story. Yeah, our podcast would be so much the poorer uh, if, we, if we didn't have like Huni's insight, and uh, I've learned so much from him uh, being his friend, and like... Honestly, like, I kind of don't, there's a few episodes before 59 that I love, but like Mm -hmm. a lot of them I'm like, oh, these are super cringy. I took myself so seriously, you know, and it's like, but with 59, I was, I was kind of proud of myself. Like we're able to do a really good episode, like kind of about real world stuff. And then like, there was some Star Wars stuff in it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, I was happy with that. And, um. Because Kashuk has a, a bit of it all, I think. Like, when you first land, it's like in the very first few bits of dialogue, you kind of learn that uh, Zerka Corporation is kind of just trying to drive out the Wookiees, you know, kind of take away their, their sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of cultural erasure is happening, and uh, it's kind of coming from the top down, you know, and then you kind of see like a... Is it... I don't know. It's kind of like the company's bureaucracy kind of just trying to take over, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you see police brutality. Like, uh, I would say, like, the Wookiees definitely uh, are an allegory for, like, indigenous populations, especially, like, uh, in the areas where, like, there's nature that really should be protected. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that kind of as a note, just as a as a general theme for all of Knights of the Old Republic. You have Zerka here, and they're basically, uh, you know, going out and laying claims to all of these planets, all these indigenous lands, and they're, you know, just basically uh, declaring that these uh, resources are theirs now, and you know, they're gentrifying planets and enslaving, uh, like the population of Kashyyyk. You know, they're enslaving the the Wookies there, and then they're, you know, out. Uh, 
taking the uh, native lands from the the Tuscan Raiders on uh, Tatooine. And we talked a lot in that episode with Huni about Tatooine, about the indigenous experience uh, with the Tuscan Raiders, you know, with the Sand People. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about what was, what at that time had been going on in the Mandalorian. And now, uh, you know, we've gotten to see a little bit more of it. Hopefully, you know, we get to keep exploring it here in the Book of Boba Fett too, but... But yeah, uh, really important stuff that we covered in in those two. So go give them a listen. And and yeah, I think that you know native uh, species to these planets, uh, another big political part of uh, Kotor. Yeah, episode two of the book of Boba Fett. Like it, it's what made me a Boba Fett person. You know, and mm-hmm. I think Stephanie Green just directed like the best episode. Like one of the best episodes I think we've gotten on Disney Plus. I was so impressed, mm-hmm. and and then like episode three, not quite my favorite, but um, I'm hope I I don't know I I hope that uh, some of the Tuscans survived because I I kind of felt betrayed seeing mm-hmm. uh, I don't know like. They were built up so much in episode one and two, and then it's like some of them are dead. I hope some of them survived. So, um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully that story continues. Hopefully it wasn't just uh, another opportunity to uh, you know treat treat the Tuscan Raiders or you know the allegory of indigenous people as you know uh, kind of this uh, storyline of you know <laughs> what we've what we've seen a hundred times. Hopefully, hopefully we. Uh, change the uh, change the story up a little bit here, um, and hopefully, I, as of recording, maybe we'll know a little bit more about that. So before this even comes out, but yeah, fingers crossed for that, definitely. Yeah, I do have to uh, mention like episode two um, of Book of Boba Fett. I really enjoyed that they talked about the the oral tradition uh, of the Tuscans because that's mm-hmm. brought up in Kotor. You know, like it was a yeah very intentional choice i think when bioware wrote it like to kind of also kind of mirror the uh indigenous populations around the world because uh indigenous populations uh are the first storytellers you know and you can learn a lot from oral traditions Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah so with manon i i'm kind of like i kind of think this is like maybe the second most political planet i mean they're kind of all political in their own ways but like replaying manon as an adult mm-hmm. i was like wow a lot of this went over my head as a child <laughs> and right yeah now i'm playing it and i was like oh wow because manon it, it kind of seemed like a representation of like the middle east you know uh, mm-hmm. and colto is definitely was written to kind of be a stand-in for oil what, what did you think Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So you have this uh, this natural resource that is only abundant in one place in the galaxy, and that is on Manon. And you have everyone, you know, all of these warring factions and uh, separate economies and things have to sort of come together and have to play nice on Manon to to get this culto. Um, yeah, it de- it definitely gives me you know a lot of the same things that you know we see in real life going on. You know, with the Middle East and, and in terms of, uh, you know, getting getting oil for everyone because that's the natural resource that uh, everyone needs to to keep the world turning. So you have kind of this really distinct kind of uh, uh, 
comparison between the between the two. And then, you know, on top of that, because of the way that you get that, that, you know, just kind of keeps this um, like Cold War, War of Information just keeps those gears churning, um, and, you know, and we we still see that today. I mean, you know, the Cold War was was a product of the 70s. You see a lot of uh, kind of similar inspirations from that drawn into like the original trilogy of, of star Wars, but, but really that war of information, I mean, it's, you know, it's continued to go on and, uh, it's always going to be when you have, you know, big, you know, political struggles at, at kind of this thing where, you know, they're kind of butting heads and you can't really have an all out war. So what do you do? You have a, a war of information, you know, kind of behind the battle lines. Passive aggressiveness, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It definitely just feels like a cold war, uh, and on top of that, you kind of have like a political trial, you know, and like, you definitely are kind of meant to see like the tensions like of the Republic and the Sith forces kind of forced to play nice, but you kind of learn what they are as not just like ideologies, like light side, dark side, but like kind of political structures. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I think it'd be really rich in an adaptation, you know, um, to kind of utilize Manon to kind of really flesh out like the political structure of the galaxy and kind of like deconstruct it uh and I don't know like what kind of films do you think like kind of are in that genre of Manon yeah I mean uh kind of going back to our episodes about there the one that I always kind of draw the comparison to is like is like Argo just from like a like a tension uh setting kind of a thing um but actually, you just mentioned Steph Green, and she uh, directed some episodes of The Americans. If you've watched that television show, it's it's excellent. Um, I'd recommend going to check that out. But that's you know about two Russian spies living in the U United States during during like the the Cold War there. So uh, a lot of a lot of kind of parallels to that as well. So uh, what about yeah. you? Any good any good uh, any good films or? Uh, you know, books, stories that kind of kind of remind you of this Manon section here. Uh, Spielberg, I believe he directed *Bridge of Spies*, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and then *The Hunt for Red Dawn*. I think it's free on YouTube, so I really have no excuse for like hmm. not having watched it already. But um, mm -hmm, sure. Or is it *The Hunt for Red October*? Did I say that? Um, <laughs> well, you said *The Hunt I for Red Dawn*. Red I don't. Dawn. I oh, saw okay. the, the new one with Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh. I saw it for the right reasons, but... Um, well, if you're thinking of the submarine show with Sean Connery, then that is The Hunt for Red October. So The Hunt for Red October, because it's red and it's October. Um, yeah, I need to watch that one, but um, I also kind of, like, one thing about Manon is that Colto is, like, a finite natural resource and like kind of like the war machine complex you know of the republic and the sith like jeopardizes like the big sharks uh is mm -hmm. it Faraxan sharks and like the culto you know it's kind of like killing the environment of of manon which i guess you could kind of say like the war kind of is poisoning the galaxy you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. poisoning that world in particular, because I actually really love Manon. Um, kind of like when we were recapping our KOTOR cinematic adaptation that won't happen, cinematic universe, you know. Um, I was like, Manon kind of like can represent like 
the state of the galaxy, the world, like it's half Republic, half Sith. And then it's Mm kind of like, at that point, like, I think like Bastila and Revan, uh, that dyad, I guess, are like kind of like, you know, in the middle, you know, they could go either way. So Manon Mm -hmm. is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Manana, Manana is awesome. Manana is, uh, is very interesting. And, and yeah, definitely ties into to real world uh, politics there. It would be interesting to see if there was like a like a half step. So in the Knights of the Old Republic, we have we have Colto. And by the time we get to the High Republic, Colto uh, is starting to phase out because they've figured out how to make Bacta. Um, at this point to manufacture it. So it'd be interesting to see like the like the go between and how that would mirror you know, the real world, whether there would be a pushback against, you know, getting off of this uh, culto, this natural resource that, you know, uh, a lot of people make a lot of money from. So, Yeah, maybe it's culta or bacto. I don't know. So. <laughs> bacto. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that kind of that kind of wraps up Manon. Uh, what about Corbon? What kind of politics do we have going on in Corbon? This one's pretty one-sided because it's where... Uh, the Sith and the Sith Academy are. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit one-sided. But what about Korriban, uh, Cassia? What do we got going on there? So Korriban is kind of the homeworld of the Sith. It's kind of like a whole lot of tombs, you know? It's kind of like... Because in my mind, like, the dark side is kind of just, like, the death of things, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they try to, like, make all these grand, like, tombs and everything for when they die when the Sith die, uh, but at the end of the day, like, when you die, you're dead, you know? Like, it doesn't matter what which coffin you're buried in, you know? Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, the futility of, like, wealth and gain, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of like the Corbon Academy. Um, definitely, uh, you kind of see, like, I don't know, like, is this too much to kind of say, like, I kind of think the Sith are all, like, fascists you know like and it's kind of just like the Corbon Academy is kind of just like indoctrination camp for like Sith and it's like based on like really mm-hmm. bad leadership like favoritism hazing bullying mm-hmm. and my guess is in an adaptation there would probably even be nepotism so yeah yeah no I think that that's fair because yeah that's how the Sith are uh, basically set up to exist you know that's how george lucas described the sith and that's how we see them here um you made a good point they have these big tombs and that you know it's you know at the end of the day you know (laughs) everyone everyone dies and basically the sith you know were in it for themselves so they accumulated wealth they have you know these these treasures and these relics but you know all of all of these the sith they were all buried with them right like they didn't go out and conquer these things and and amass these things to pass on to you know future generations or you know the knowledge so you quite literally have to like break into their tombs and beat their security to get these things yeah i mean i kind of think like corbon is maybe kind of one of the more allegorical planets rather than like kind of real world political but i think i think there are still lessons to learn there Mm -hmm. um but maybe you kind of just have to dig about them but i think it's definitely kind of uh a philosophical uh 
kind of look at like different leadership styles. And mm-hmm. I mean, we had a we had our um, episode. What number was that where we kind of talked about uh, Corbon and and its politics? Yeah, our episode with uh, Gabe Young. Um, check him out on uh, Instagram too. I think it's at the Gabe Young. I think is the name. Let's see. That episode was number. 86. So it's episode number episode number 86. Yeah, with the Gabe Young and we talked about Korriban, you know, kind of in our film adaptation and then, you know, talked about the kind of the political struggle going on, you know, there with the Sith and, you know, touched yeah. out a little bit more into, into all of KOTOR. But yeah, that was a really good conversation. And yeah, if, I guess if you just look at the Sith just as, you know, kind of a political power in and of themselves, you know, in this in this warring faction. Um, then definitely there's some things to take away there. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely lessons like to learn from the Jedi and Sith. And sometimes you can learn those lessons through bad examples, probably even more lessons from bad examples. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it just kind of, there, there are lessons to learn that are political there. It's not just allegorical uh, light dark side, uh, you know, but Plus you have the, you have the confrontation with Karth and his son and they're, you know, on different uh, spectrums of their ideology, you know, at this point um, in the game. So trying to, trying to rectify that and, you know, understand where, where Karth and um, his son are both coming from in that time as well. So. Yeah. And that would be interesting to see in an adaptation. And one thing that might be hearsay is I believe the Sith code might have even be been written for this game and I think the person who wrote it um actually based it on writings from like um Hitler so I'm kind of like um yeah I don't think you're supposed to really identify with this you know but um yeah so I think like even though like I kind of think Corbon is the least political of mm-hmm. uh, the settings in KOTOR, it, it's still political. So, Yeah, definitely. And then Rakata. Are we calling it Rakata, Rakata Prime, or Lee Han? <laughs> or the Unknown uh, World? Um, I'm, call- I'm calling it the Unknown Rakatan World. No. Uh, we'll the just, Unknown we'll just... Rakatan Lee Han <laughs> World. <laughs> Uh, we'll just, I don't, I think we, I think we normally call it Leon. I don't know. We'll, we'll call it something, um, I guess, but, but what do we have going on here? It's, uh, basically you have the Rakatan empire and they were huge and tried to take over the whole of the galaxy, but, um, in the end empires fall and that's what we get to learn about here. Um, you know, you, you can't sustain that growth and the pursuit of that, um, you know, ultimately is going to lead to your downfall. Um, you know, and that's that's something we've seen with empires from, you know, the beginning of recorded history, and it's no different here on Rakata, on Leon. Yeah. It's always so interesting, like, so many, like, dynasties and countries say, like, our our empire will last a thousand years, and, like, it's like, mm-hmm. you didn't even make it 200, you know? like <laughs> And, like, yeah. I... I love history. I'm a nerd. And like, there's so many like empires, like people haven't even heard of or talk about today. Like, mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of movies sometimes, you know? And it's like, sometimes like, uh, 
in my life personally, like, uh, growing up, uh, in the U.S., like, people kind of, like, maybe sometimes they're like, oh, this is the greatest country that has ever been, you know, or, like, we're perfect, like, we don't, the world can learn from us, and we'll be here forever, mm-hmm. and I don't know, like, I think there's stuff to learn. There's always more to learn, uh, from mm-hmm. the past, the present, and, like, thinking about the future, and um there's always ways to improve right yeah improvement you you can always improve and like kind of think uh critically about yourself as an individual as a community and like as a nation you know and i think like lehan kind of illustrates like the rakatan infinite empire like literally enslaved like the whole galaxy but their downfall came about uh through those that they were oppressing, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, they kind of turned to the dark side and they crumbled and people barely remembered them, you know, like you wrote this perfectly, the pursuit of uh, size and strength and might can't be sustained. Yep. Yeah. And that, yeah, ultimately, you know, leads to, leads to the downfall, right? You have the, the uprising of the, enslaved people and yeah you just you you can't su- sustain that it's not <laughs> it's not a good business model to just uh to keep going uh no matter what you have to you have to step back but yeah definitely it's definitely just uh you know an illustration of like i said of all of these empires that we've seen throughout history kind of rise and fall um, yeah you know here on ricotta and you know the Rakatans at the height of their of their power and their their glory. They designed something um, called the Starforge, uh, which is very literally a giant space machine that just cranks out stuff for war. <laughs> it's it's literally a big war machine um, in the in the stars for the Star Wars. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of their their crown jewel, and that was when they uh, started to fall apart. And that's where that's where the story. And Songkotor, that's that's where you end up at this at this big manufacturing complex. It's what all of the Sith, that was what they wanted. They wanted to, uh, they wanted it to be their crown jewel, I guess. Um, but but yeah, so we end up on the on the Starforge. So, uh, what what are your thoughts about about that, Cassia? Yeah, the Starforge is quite literally like a machine that that represents the military industrial complex. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's different than the Death Star, even though it's meant to evoke the Death Star. And I'm like, that's that's good, you know. Uh, not everything needs to be a Death Star. And, like, I kind of think, like, storytellers could have more fun with the strengths and the weaknesses of a, of a Star Forge. Like, I think it would be kind of a unique challenge, you know, kind of to mm-hmm. convey in storytelling terms. But... What I hope is, like, if there is a KOTOR adaptation, they're like, what if there's a Death Star, but, like, 4,000 years ago? You know, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would be like, no. I would be mad. But um, it's, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. It's interesting that, you know, at the, at the height of this Rakatan Empire, at the height of their strength, it basically... All of their all of their pursuits and all of their energy was poured into this thing to just create more war, um, it, and yeah, I think that that's that's very telling, and uh, you know, definitely can have some uh, real world 
parallels uh, here, you know, as we're kind of looking through KOTOR on a political lens. Yeah, I mean, kind of something it represents for me is like the atomic bomb, like each side is trying to find it Mm -hmm. for their own purposes, like, and the Jedi Council, like, kind of at their most shady, you know, like, kind of using like, an ex-war criminal kind of lying, you know, to them. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It kind of just reminded me of like the, the Oppenheimer, you know, kind of like the creation of the atomic bomb. I can't wait to see that. It's an upcoming Christopher Nolan film about Oppenheimer. So. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting too, if you could do some revisionist KOTOR history and, uh, imagine that if the Jedi would have gotten to the Star Forge before, you know, Darth Malak would have found it, you know, what what would have been different? Would the Jedi have claimed it for their own? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's just kind of a, an interesting thought experiment here for yeah. uh, Knights of the Old Republic. But definitely, like I said, definitely mirrors, you know, some real world uh, politics and, and this industrial war machine uh, going on. And, you know, that's kind of where the, the KOTOR story ends and you know we could probably go through kotor 2 and come up with a, a whole bunch of other you know examples of this so yeah i guess i guess just for us we just wanted to kind of take a step back because you know ever since the the remake's been announced you know there's been a ton of excitement but there's been a, a lot of uh pessimism and negativity and uh like cassie said just uh people being disgruntled for the sake of getting clicks and things. And it's just something that we wanted to to talk about, you know, to, to remind everyone that, you know, this KOTOR isn't going to be any more political than the KOTOR that you already know. Um, you know, it's, it's probably going to reflect a little bit differently because it's going to be made, you know, in the 2020s as opposed to, you know, the early 2000s. But yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm sure in this episode we left some stones unturned and you can tell us, like, uh, be sure to tell us, like, if you think we, we missed uh, some aspects of different planets or, like, some interpretations, like, we're mm-hmm. always here to learn and uh, we love KOTOR and there's a lot of lessons to learn from KOTOR and, and Star Wars and when it comes to the remake, like, just be cool, you know, like don't mm-hmm. uh, harass, you know, the creators, uh, be kind online and in person and, uh, yeah. And Star Wars and KOTOR have always been political and it's political, I think, cause it's meant to be educational and, uh, to teach us, uh, important life lessons. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, Kotor has always been political, and uh, Kotor is for everyone, and that's that's our stance on it. So yeah, definitely let us know if we kind of missed anything, or you know if you have good examples, or um, if you have favorite examples from Kotor too, because we definitely uh, want to hear them because we we think that you know kind of this subject is pretty interesting, and uh, yeah, we're excited to finally get together and uh, chat about it for everyone. Yeah. Star Wars is for everyone, Darth Revan is for everyone, and KOTOR is for everyone. And you can find us on Instagram at Old Republic Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. And if you want to connect with us on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. 
on Patreon. The link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Old Republic Podcast. And the Old Republic Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscription, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro theme was composed by Dennis S. Mowers at DennisMowersMusic.com. Our outro theme was composed by Alistair Sherman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.